Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs, Arkansas, today with episode 670 of the Survival Podcast. It is Tuesday, May the 24th, 2011, and today we're going to talk all about redundancy. The reality is we talk about redundancy all the time here. I mean, that's really what the whole show is about. But I've actually never done a show and said, let's just focus on it as a concept. Let's examine it in multiple scenarios and see how we can pick it apart. Let's look at how redundancy works. Look at where the lack of redundancy or insufficient redundancy has caused failures and look at where having proper redundancy has come in and, and actually kind of saved the day, so to speak. And how much redundancy is enough? Is it one level? Is it two? Is it three? I guess it depends on how um, how critical the component is to us. So I think we can have some fun with that today. I think it can be a little bit different of a show. I've kind of been doing mostly you know, uh, news and informational shows, listener feedback shows, uh, and, and saving money shows for the past couple of weeks as we've been through this flux. Now we're here, we're rocking on, so let's get on with that. Of course, I am coming to you today from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridgeline from TSPN. That is the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. First thing I want to do today during the housekeeping is throw out a thank you to somebody. Obviously, I won't give the person's last name or anything like that, but Diego, you know who you are. You sent me something in the mail that I won't divulge, but uh, absolutely, I'll do what you asked me to do with it, and I appreciate you, and I wish you well as you build that uh, beautiful food forest that you told me about in your letter. Thank you for that. I know that's kind of personal, but it's the only way I can reach Diego, because he didn't uh, email me a long time ago, but I don't know what his email address is, and he didn't include it in his letter and didn't even have a return address on it. So, again, Diego, thanks. Uh, next up today, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one is Ready-Made Resources. And I don't know what more you can ask from from a company than for their name to tell you what they are and what they do and then to fulfill that and do it. And that's what Ready-Made Resources does. They provide all the things that you need, all the resources you need for your prepping, ready to go, ready to ship, go to their website, point, click, buy, and you get great pricing, great service, and fast delivery. Check out ReadyMadeResources.com to see what resources they have for your prepping needs. Next up today, you know, I talk a lot of, on a, a lot of times I tell you about gold and silver and precious metal. How about another precious metal? How about copper-jacketed lead? To me, that's one of the most precious metals that I can own. I believe that in a barter uh, scenario, if we ever get into a place where like it's really bad, you know, that kind of end of the world as we know it scenario, which is not the first thing I prep for, but is something I acknowledge can happen, ammo will be as much a bartering tool as silver and gold. In fact, I think it will be a better bartering tool for small items. So I want to make sure I have the ammo for a barter tool. I want to make sure I have it so I can practice. I want to make sure I can defend my home with it. And God forbid they ever do anything that jacks the price up to where it's four or five times what it is. I want a whole bunch of it so I don't need to buy as much anymore. And I want lots of reloading supplies to go with it. But when I'm supplying myself with ammo, when I'm stocking up, where do I go? 
I go to bulkammo.com. Why? Because when it comes to the common calibers, your 223, your 308, your 3006, your uh, your 45, your 9mm, your 40 Smith and Wesson, all that stuff, best pricing, amazingly quick shipping. Uh, you cannot go wrong with bulkammo.com. That's why we're glad to have them as a sponsor. Uh, next up today, I want to send you a shout-out today to, and encourage you to get involved with our forum if you haven't. We've just upgraded the forum to a new server and uh, the main website to a new server. We're working on getting the audio server fixed over right now. I've uh, been putting the new episodes on the audio server, audio server, but the main reason we did the upgrade for the main site wasn't the blog. The blog worked fine. It was for that, for that, the, the forum. Uh, it's a very active forum. We have, you know, sometimes close to, you know, three, four hundred people at the same time posting. And, uh, that can put, uh, a lot of drain on a server, but we are on a dedicated fast server now. And, uh, there's been no problems with it. And we made that investment so that more of you can come in and be part of that community. So get involved with the forum. I get a lot of you guys. How do I find people in my area? Get on our forums. Go to the regional boards. Start looking for people, at least in your state, and going from there. It's a great way to do that. We've got a lot of people on the forum that have become lifelong off, offline friends from the forum. So check that out. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You support the show at 20 cents an episode. And remember, if you're active duty or prior service military, you do not have to be a retired military, prior service. If you served at all, you qualify for a military discount. Email me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Before you join, and I will send you a discount code personally uh, to give you that military discount. It's a great discount, and it applies to recurring. If you're an existing MSB member in your military, um, you can get in touch with me, and we'll talk about how to get you the discount when your renewal comes up. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And part of what brought this to my brought this up on my radar is I've been thinking about this a lot with our move. I, you know, as we settle into the new house and the new office, I've been thinking about. Home redundancy and business redundancy both. A simple example is that um, rather than just rely on something like a, um, a, a generator or something like that up here at the office, which would be noisy and really preclude me from uh, from doing an audio show anyway, uh, we went out and we bought the biggest, best, uh, uninterruptible power source we could get. Uh, one that is capable of running my uh, DSL modem, uh, my uh, my router uh, and my computer uh, for about close to an hour. So that would be if the power went off and I was in the middle of the show, I can literally finish the show and get it published and get that up for the day and then see to some other type of power. So that's a, a basic redundancy thing. And we have other backup power stuff that we could use if that was not sufficient. And eventually we'll probably invest in a second one of these, split uh, the, the, uh, the devices across them and create additional redundancy. And we could always, you know, throw the laptop up and turn Turn off the, the main computer and use that extended even further. So the, you know, right there you're starting to see layers of redundancy. We're starting to look into the home. We're talking about instead of just having a simple generator uh, going to a, a more high-end automatic switch-on generator. We live in a place where, yeah, long-term I want solar. Long-term I want wind. I want battery backup. And I want the solar and wind charging those batteries so we are more sustainable. But the simple solution to going two days to two weeks without power is a really good generator. Now, that just wasn't something we could look at doing uh, on that level with that expense when we were still living in Arlington. We had to be realistic. We had two house payments. We had two households. Uh, the Arkansas location was designed for the worst-case scenario. we got to get out of Dodge. We can go there and we can get by for a long time. And it would serve that purpose very well the way we had it. But now that we're living there, we want to make it more livable, and redundancy is a big part of that. So... You know, I, even I have people now saying, well, Jack, now that you've moved to your bug out location, where would you bug out to? 
And the reality is we're going to look for kind of a second piece of property at some point. It'll be like a deer lease for me. I've talked about that before. We'll have plans. If we had to get out because of a regional specific event where we would go, we already you know kind of know where we would go right now if we had to. Um, but that is you know very specific to a regional threat. If it's some kind of a global threat, well, if this was the place I would have fallen back to, I'm not going anywhere. I now live at my bug out location. And with that comes a need to increase redundancy. And I believe that most people should do it in their own homes. So all of these things are what got me thinking on the subject. I was thinking, what am I going to do on Tuesday next week for a show for you guys? And I'm trying to come up with something new and different. You know, we've done 670 episodes now. You know, I'm going to go back and talk about some of the same things uh, again with new information, hopefully, and a new twist. But I do try to bring in, you know, quite a few new, brand new topics each month, and this seemed like a good one with that in mind. Now, to go forward with this, let's start out with something that I think is very important. I've talked about this in whole episodes. We give you a snapshot of it today. To understand the difference of two concepts that most people in the survival industry use interchangeably, and they're not interchangeable in my view, and those are self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Self-reliance is something that gets talked a lot about in the wilderness environments and all, and I think that to a large degree, that's a great place to think about it. But it's also a place where we can think about it like, let's look at it this way. If you have a flashlight and your power goes off, you have some self-reliance because now you have lighting from your flashlight. But it's not completely sustainable because that light will go out eventually. And if you don't have a new source of batteries or power, it, 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 it's, it's now useless. Okay, so it's a self-reliance tool. It's also only sufficient to get by with. It doesn't let you have the, the, the typical quality of life that you want to live day to day. Right? It doesn't light your whole house for you. It doesn't allow you to flip a switch when you walk into a new room and light it up. So it's a more self-reliance thing. Self-sufficiency is where we put a system in place that actually provides for our daily needs so that when we rely on a local economy, when we rely on someone else, when we rely on a system of support, we do so by for choice and convenience, not for need. So self-sufficiency with lighting would be I have solar and I have uh, you know DC current lighting all throughout the house and I have enough solar energy to provide myself lighting in my home to the full extent of my desires. And now I'm self-sufficient. Now, between self-reliance and self-sufficiency, there's this gray area where we have percentages of self-sufficiency and percentages that are self-reliance. It's not that critical, but it's important with redundancy that we start asking ourselves, is a solution self-sufficient or self-reliant? If it's self-reliant, well, maybe we need another version, another layer of redundancy packed with it because once it runs out, it's it's no longer going to provide that function for us anymore. Now we need something to step in and take its place. So anywhere we can put a self-sufficient solution in place, we're better off because now we need less redundancy because we have something more sustainable. So for instance, storing food is self-reliant. It's not self-sufficient. Uh, it, it just isn't. Because if the shit hits the fan... And you can't get any more food. You have your stockpile. If it's six months worth, at six months in one day, if there's no other place that food is going to come in from, you're out and you're hungry. Okay, and you can say, well, I'll ration it. Well, what are you going to stretch it to? Eight months? Nine? You're going to be hungry for nine months if you stretch it that long, right? Because it's a six-month supply. If we have a garden, 
that's producing for us. Then we have a self-sufficient solution, right? We actually have a solution that continues to provide over time. Now, if it only provides 20% of the food we need, we're only 20% self-sufficient. But that's a layer of redundancy, and now I can stack the two. I'll hold off on that because we're going to go to some individual things where I'm going to talk about food and exactly how those play together. I just want to get you thinking that way. So now let's talk about what exactly is redundancy. Redundancy is a pretty simple concept. It simply means that when something fails, I have something else to take its place. So that can be as simple as I have two flashlights instead of one. Now I have a layer of redundancy. If my flashlight fails, I have another flashlight. I carry two knives instead of one. I carry one that's kind of just like a razor blade knife and one that's a more standard everyday knife. But both are cutting tools. Now, people would say you'd be better off getting the best knife you can, but what if it breaks? What if I lose it? What if I need to give it to somebody else to perform a function with, and during that period in time, now I have no cutting tool? So having two of something is a form of redundancy. Having something that fills the same role as something else would be redundancy. So if I have a machete and a hatchet, both are chopping tools, even though they're different tools. They're also a cutting tool. All right, so you start to see where the multi-use things, it becomes less of, well, I want one item that does 50 things, so I only have to carry one item. And it's more of, I want 20 items that do many different things specialized and many of the same things, so I can improvise if I have to. Redundancy is about creating layers of capability in a situation where what we normally use, what we normally rely upon, fails. Let's say you had a person, well, we'll hold on this because I think this is a, that's a great idea that I just had, but it'll do better in, in just a minute. Um, I also want to say one more thing, though, before we move on to some individual scenarios. What is layered redundancy? Layered redundancy is when we create multiple layers of redundancy. And you're going to see that in a lot of the things that I'm about to talk about. But basically, to, to, so I don't use my own material early, let's look at it this way. If system one fails, system two takes over. Basic redundancy. If system two fails, system three takes over. I've got three layers of redundancy. If I have a system four, I have four layers of redundancy. The more layers and the more interconnecting layers, the more I can create a web of functionality, the greater my redundancy in my home and in my life, in my job, in my career, in my business. See, folks, I try to talk about things in a way that will apply to you, not just if the shit hits the fan, but so you can build that better life. Redundancy is the most important thing you can put into your life. If you are an entrepreneur, into your business, if you have a career because you're an employee, into your career. How much career redundancy can you create for yourself? So think about all those things as we go through this. Okay, let's start out with a very simple one, flat tire redundancy. I love this one because, you know, permaculturists always, when they talk about inputs uh, and outputs, they always use the chicken because the chicken has certain things it needs and many things that it puts out. And it's a great archetype to understand uh, the inputs and the outputs in a permaculture system uh, and to understand the web that creates redundancy as well. Well, a flat tire is a great simple example that we can all relate to. So here's the typical person's flat tire redundancy. When I bought my car, they have a jack, they have some kind of a, a, a tire, a lug nut wrench, uh, and, and a, maybe a, a lock uh, mechanism so I can get the one particular lug nut off that's designed so nobody jacks my uh, tires, uh, and a spare tire. So if I break down, I'll pull over, and I'll take the, the, the lug nuts off, and I'll put the new tire on, and I'll go get the old tire fixed, I'll put the spare tire back, and that's my redundancy. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a pretty decent 
redundancy. And there's usually a jack, and hopefully it has a jack. And now here's the thing. If you don't check all that equipment once in a while, you may get into a point where you're flat, and now you can't fill your tire up, uh, or you can't change the tire because the spare's flat as well. Or if the jack doesn't function, I can't lift the car. Now, even if I checked it two days ago, something could have happened to the jack. Something could have happened to it. So it makes sense to have, let's say, another layer of redundancy. So I might get a can of something a lot of people don't like, but it can save your butt in situations, which is called fix-a-flat. And people say it ruins a tire. It really doesn't ruin a tire if you drive on it for days and days and days. But if you just use it to get off the road and get to a repair shop, it's a great, uh, it's a great tool. Have them break your tire open, clean out the inside, run some water in it, and, and, and do whatever repair to the tire that you're going to do if it's repairable. And uh, you go on with your life. And if you have a, you know, not a complete, totally flat tire, but just a very low tire, it can get you out of a bad situation. So now I have the ability to change a spare, and I have fix-a-flat. Well, why might I need that? What if I drive down the road and I hit some debris? And it takes out two of my tires, one with the simple nail puncture that I can fix with the fix a flat or at least get by with, and one with a piece of angle iron that actually blows the tire out. I actually had not two tires, but one tire go out with a piece of angle iron that fell off a truck. So this is true to me. Now, at that point, I have two flats. I only have one spare. Most of us can't afford to carry two or three. We don't have the space for two or three spares. So now I have a way to get at least get off the road. What if I hit a bunch of stuff? And I've got two or three or four just blown out tires. Well, now I can add something like a AAA card. But why would I want that other than just having that, you know, if it's just a flat tire? Because let's say the car breaks down or what have you, AAA is great to have. But just for a flat tire, single tire, it's flat. Why do I need AAA for that? I'm self-reliant. I can get out change a tire. My jack works and all. What if you're in the center lane of a six-lane highway and there's no shoulders? You might actually really benefit from having someone that could come render aid to you and get you out of there. You completely destroy your rim because you're on the rim. You know, you can, you can be in situations where now I add that extra layer of redundancy. Now if I add prevention, prevention becomes a layer of redundancy. So that's things like checking my tire pressure, paying attention to my tires just by looking at them. Do they look like they're losing some air? Is there a problem I need to correct now? So now I'll add another layer of redundancy to that. The other reason I might want to have things like a AAA card so that someone can come help me and get out is it may not be me in the vehicle. It may be my wife or if I'm a family man, my daughter or my son using the vehicle. And I may not want, I may be comfortable changing a tire on the, on the, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the shoulder of a major highway, but I may not want my wife or my daughter or my son or someone I've loaned the vehicle to. So I build in these layers of redundancy to support others. So hopefully that starts to kind of expand your mind as to what redundancy really is. Redundancy isn't just the spare tire and the jack and the tire iron. That's only a single layer of redundancy. If I want a resilient solution, I need multiple layers of redundancy. You know, I can do things like buy tires that are self-healing. Do you know they actually make those now? And they don't always work, depending on the level of damage, but they pretty much hold up to nails and screws, which are the main, and pieces of wire and things like that, which are the main things that cause flats. So if I add that, now I have yet another layer of redundancy. If I have communications with me, i.e. a cell phone where I can call for help, in addition to AAA, maybe someone that can come help me, now I've got another layer of redundancy. Maybe the vehicle's going to have to be towed. Maybe when I got the flat, I had a wreck. 
And now I need a friend to come just pick me up and take me home to where I might have another vehicle. And if I have a secondary vehicle that's not being used by the other spouse full-time, let's say I have a three-car household, now I have another layer of redundancy. I can afford to lose the entire vehicle. That doesn't mean you go in debt for three vehicles, folks. It means you take time over and you take care of your vehicles, you maintain them, and you end up with three paid-for vehicles. So all of that comes out of just being redundant against something that starts out as simple as a flat tire because the flat tire can cause a wreck. Let's move on from there. Let's talk about permaculture and what permaculture teaches us about redundancy. See, one of the places that there's the most lacking redundancy in the world today is the place where there should be the most, and that's the agricultural system. Pretty much the way we farm today, we plow a field in a straight line, We hope for rain, we provide irrigation, we provide herbicide and insecticide, we put seeds in the ground, we wait for them to grow, and we harvest them. And if any, and it's, a, it's like fishing with a line. That's the way a permaculturist would describe that. That's like fishing with a single rod and a single line. Once you catch a fish and you're reeling them in, if that line breaks, your one fish is gone. You have absolutely no redundancy. Now, I could put out ten lines... But I can st I'm still limited to only 10 fish uh, per, per harvest. And even if with that, anytime a line breaks, I have an even exchange. One line, I lose one fish. If I fish with a net, right? I, put, I cast a net and I pull it in. I can lose 20% of my lines and I probably am still going to be able to harvest 90 to 95% of my catch. I might have to fix my net, but I'm going to lose very little because of the way that a net works. And a permaculture system versus a monoculture system implies, implies multiple uh, connections, and that creates redundancy. What I mean by that is just by starting out with the very nature of polyculture. So instead of having a bed full of tomatoes, I have tomatoes, I have peppers, I have beans, I have all this stuff mixed into my bed. I create a situation where just if the tomatoes die, I still have something else. So at a commercial level, if I go to a polyculture farm format, I end up in a situation where if I lose a crop, I don't lose the farm. And as I, as I bring in this diversity, if I start to think about it, if I start to observe and interact the way permaculture teaches us to, I start to notice that certain things grow better when they're together or certain things grow better together when they're apart. I may not even know the real reason for that. It may not even be that they have a direct effect on each other. There may be a connector. I may have a plant uh, like, like um, spinach that's heavily bothered by thrips and white flies. And when I plant parsley that I let go to its second year and I have that near the spinach, I may have a lot less problem with my, my thrips and white flies and mites. And I might think parsley repels them, but it may not. And I really don't know what the answer to this one would be. This is just an example. But it may be that it attracts certain types of predators. And those predators then feed upon those pests. And it may also create confusion. So by creating that connection, even if I don't understand the entire connection, I create redundancy in my system of production. If I plant an orchard and instead of 10,000 apple trees of two varieties for two harvests, I plant 50 varieties of fruits in multiple species. I can have a bad year on any one of them and I'm going to still have a sizable yield to take to market and probably some things that are more specifically niche marketable that sell for more money and I'm going to have a detrimental effect on pests. 
Because many, many pests are specifically uh, affecting one or two varieties. So I'm going to attract more, more predators. I'm going to create um, a more diverse habitat. I'm going to confuse my pests because everything doesn't look the same. And I'm going to create all types of interconnections. Each one of those is a redundant connection. Because even if some part of it fails, some other part of the system takes over. How do you think a forest grows, survives, and thrives with no one there to fertilize it, no one there to water it? I mean, think about it. You can go just about anywhere other than a desert. And even in a desert, you can find the savannas in places where there are forests. There's desert forests, basically. They may be lower than what we think of when we think of the word forest, but they work and they, they run like a forest. Just about anywhere you go other than the, the middle of a desert or a place like Antarctica, there's plants as long as we don't cut them down. And they survive and they grow and they interact and they thrive. How do you think they do that? No one tills the soil. No one sprays them with herbicide and insecticide. No one controls the pests. Well, they do it because of the interconnected web that type of redundancy. So there's another way to think about redundancy. Let's move on to something that I think every single person listening to this show probably cares about. Uh, the only people I know that don't care about this are so stinking rich, they let somebody else worry about it for them. They pay somebody to worry about it for them. And if they didn't, ha if they couldn't have somebody they were paying to worry about it, they would worry about it. And that's economic redundancy. Your money. Your, your life, right? Your, it's your money or your life, I guess they say. And in a lot of ways, your money is your life. Because no matter how self-sufficient, self-reliant we get, there's certain things that we want in our lives that kind of require money. You know, we, we can only produce so much of, of the stuff that we, not just what we need, what we want. I believe if you really want to, if you really want to, you're going to have to take money in the front end. But you could create a system that would provide you everything that you need and never need a dollar again for the rest of your life. But it will not, it absolutely will not provide you with everything that you want. Because there's so many cool things out there. And one of the ways that we incentivize people to create new cool things for us is with money. If there was no, if there was no money, there was no incentive, there was no benefit from hard work and, and, and innovation, we wouldn't have computers. <laughs> we wouldn't have anything. That money is what creates that. So money's important to all of us. Now, how important depends on how far we've walked self-sufficiency and self-reliance into our lives. But even at that point, we still care. And if we're smart, we're going to keep building up the money because the money is what? It's another form of redundancy. Even if I build the perfect homestead, and even if I have it fully insured, if it gets destroyed by a tornado, even if the insurance is going to kick in at some point, I need to rebuild and I need to take care of things until that happens. So my money is now redundancy. If that makes sense. So how do we keep create economic redundancy? The first thing we do is all the money that we're saving, we stop saving it in the same asset class. And that's what most Americans are doing today. Most Americans have 401k or an IRA, or even if they have money that's not in a retirement vehicle, at least that's one level of redundancy out. They still have it invested in paper assets. And if you hold a small cap mutual fund, a mid cap mutual fund, a growth and income mutual fund, and a dividend yielding fund, Uh, and a microcap fund and a foreign fund. Your financial advisor would tell you what? You're well diversified. You've got your money spread out into different sectors. Some are in technology. Some are in growth companies. Some are in income companies. Some are in foreign companies. Some are in domestic companies. But you know what? You're absolutely, absolutely no redundancy. Because everything you're doing is betting on an increase in the market 
continuous increase in the market. It's betting on stocks and bonds to perform well. You have absolutely, you know, if you have a hedge fund, we start to create some redundancy because if the market falls, right, that fund does better. So we can add a hedge fund and that creates redundancy. If we add some gold and silver ETFs in the form of paper, we create another form of redundancy because we have a paper, a, a hard asset backed paper, but we're still all in paper. And we're still all in regulated money, highly visible money, money the government sees, money the IRS sees, right? Money that people that would want to sue you see. Right? It's all money that can be, you know, seen. And yeah, you can't be sued for your 401k, but the, the government has their eye on that. Right? I got something for you on Monday that, you know, we'll talk deeper about this, about this thing that I've said about the government eventually coming after private pensions. I see the day coming, maybe faster than I thought. Some we need to keep an eye on. So that's all highly regulated paper assets betting on the market doing well or betting on the market doing poorly. Even there, we can create redundancy. Yes, the different classes of funds, some individual stocks, the things a typical financial advisor talks about, that creates some redundancy, but it's very moderate redundancy. If I then take and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take $5,000 of my wealth. I'm going to invest that in gold. I'm going to take another $5,000 of my wealth, and I'm going to invest that in silver. And these are not hard numbers. It's all situational based on what your total and your goals and, and everything else is. It might be 5,000 in gold and 2,000 in silver. It might be 2,000 in gold and 10,000 in silver. It's all about what you want to do. But if I do just five and five, well, I've got $10,000 of highly portable, completely anonymous wealth that's accepted just about anywhere in the world and can be exchanged for any currency in the world, I've added redundancy. Okay. If I stay out of debt, I've created a situation where I need less cash to make the month. So now I've added another layer of redundancy by decreasing the outflow. If I create another income stream because I'm a blogger and I spend 10 hours a week blogging my ass off to where that blog at least can eke out $200 a month for me, and I'll, I'll tell you what, anybody who wants to can do that if you treat it like what it is, a business Now I have another income stream. Now I have another layer of redundancy. What's $200? It doesn't seem like a lot, but $200 a month would keep most people from going over the edge into bankruptcy if they had it as extra money and they treated it like extra money. So that $200, I don't need it. It's extra. It's all going into savings or it's all going to some type of asset that will be there for me. And then if something goes wrong, I can start relying on the stream or I can go back and pull it out of the asset class. So now that's another layer of economic redundancy. If I want to be really smart, and I may do this myself eventually, what I do is I set up a corporation and that corporation owns my property. I set up another corporation that I own and that corporation owns the corporation that owns my property. That keeps two layers of distance between myself and my property. That protects me from lawsuits and it protects me from people finding out what I own and what I have. It makes me look penniless on paper so it creates economic redundancy in a parasitic lawsuit environment. See, you know, when we think about survival, we always think about what if the lights go out and don't come back on? Well, what if your lights go out because somebody took your money? Because somebody took your house and your lights. We have to think much broader if we're going to think about modern survival and modern survival living. Looking at energy. Energy is a great one because it's one that we all focus on a lot, as we should. Energy is one of the five primary things that we need from survival. But when we look at energy, it's really simple to, 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 uh, to go too simple with it. To say what I want to do is I want to go completely off-grid. 
I don't want a generator. I don't want a carbon footprint, if you believe in that nonsense. Uh, I want to have solar and wind, and I want to have enough to do everything I need. And if I need additional heat, I will, you know, if I have 100 acres, I can cut my own wood, and I'm self-sufficient with that. Okay, well, that's fine, but what kind of financial investment does that take to get there uh, kind of out of the gate, so to speak, instead of phased in over time? We also have to start thinking about there's some basic realities that most of us live in a typical home. And the easy solution to energy redundancy is a generator. And they're not that expensive. You can buy a good quality generator for $500 to $1,000. You can buy one, have it hardwired in for two to $3,000 with uh, additional, like, you know, running on propane with, with a propane reserve tank or having gas reserves or what have you or diesel reserves or what have you. Um, you can go whole hog and spend six grand and put something in. It'll run, you know, two households if it had to that's automatic. But one way or another, somewhere between the beginning and the end of those extremes, is a solution that when your power goes off for two or three days, you don't have to suffer through it. So that's a layer of energy redundancy. If I take that and alternative energy, so I'm tied to the grid, but I've got a, a, a two or three kilowatt solar system, I got a windmill going, I got a battery backup system um, that keep the batteries topped off from the grid, so the solar and wind is just providing surplus energy. If there's ever too much surplus, I'm feeding it back to the grid. I'm making money from now that now I got economic redundancy. The power goes off. It's not windy and it's not real sunny, and I still have a generator. I can power my batteries and use that to power my home. Since I have the batteries, I don't have to run the generator all night long. I can run the generator long enough to top off my batteries. And I can run the generator when it's light out. And if I'm in a bad situation because the whole neighborhood's out and there's worries about looting, right? I'm only giving my position away with noise at a time of day when everybody's up, everybody's awake, everybody's aware, and I am better suited to deal with the ramifications of someone coming to take from me. I'm not sleeping in the bed, right? So all of those things start to stack energy redundancy. If I also start to add supplemental lighting, so I put emergency power failure lights in my home, that way, if it's a short-term outage, I don't have to rely on my more expensive, more elaborate solutions. If I put in a fireplace, or I have a fireplace, I have some level of heating. If I go make an investment, and I put a fireplace insert in, that makes my fireplace, instead of 5% efficient, 90% efficient, now I actually have a heating solution. Now, if the power goes off in the wintertime when it's cold, I actually can heat a major portion of my home with wood effectively. So now I've added another layer of redundancy. See, redundancy is like this, like an onion. You know, every time you peel a layer, what's next? What do I do if that fails? You know, what do I do if I run out of wood? Well, if I have a few propane space heaters and I have propane outlets plugged in my home where they can be plugged in even if they're not there all the time and I have a couple hundred pounds of propane outside, now I've got yet another layer of redundancy. Do you need that much? I don't know. Do you live in Minnesota or do you live in Texas? How cold does it get for how long? It's always situational. All these things that I'm telling you aren't things that we all need to do. We all have limitations. We all have finite time and finite incomes. Uh, if you don't have a finite income, if you're like a trust fund baby or something with a billion dollars, you're probably not listening to me. So I'm, I'm probably not, you know, my message isn't for you. My message is more for the everyday working person that has to work their ass off. Might be upper middle class, might be lower middle class, might be poor, might even consider yourself wealthy. But you're still working for what you have, and you still know there's a limitation to what you can do. So when I talk about all these things like energy redundancy, this can get very expensive. But I can also piecemeal it over time. 
And every time I add something, I decrease my dependence on things like the grid. So now I have more freedom. I have more economic freedom. Now I can take that back to my economic redundancy. And I can take that surplus money. It's a, it's a shortfall up front, and it's a, it's, a, it's a windfall long term. Looking at food redundancy before I go into how these interconnect. Food redundancy is a great one for us because we always talk about storing food. But like I said in the beginning, how much food can you store? There's a limit. I mean, we all have, if, if we, even if we have enough money that we could go out tomorrow and buy a year's worth of food, a lot of us don't have a place to store a year's worth of food or to effectively use and rotate a year's worth of food so we don't have to do it again in two years, especially if we try to do it all at the supermarket or we try to do it all with the long-term storables. So, you know, the reason that, that, that you, you've got to think beyond that is, again, storage is finite. So... What we, that means is we need some level of food that we can continue to, to produce for ourselves over time. That way we're only harvesting as much we need as we need it. And it's not just about gardening. Oh no, it's, it's much bigger than that. If I put a pond in, let's say I put a little quarter acre pond, then I get some muscovy ducks. Um, those are the ducks you see in a lot of the public parks and all. They got the little red bubbly things on their head. They're actually fabulous, fabulous eating ducks. They pretty much take care of themselves. They don't need anything. Uh, and I put just a, you know, two or three hens or four or five hens out there in a drake or even if I want to go crazy, do ten hens in a drake. But just put a few, maybe, you know, four ducks, one drake, three hens. And, uh, you know, some turtles take some of the chicks and some of them, you know, don't make it and what have you. But let's say I get a yield of 50 uh, ducks, 50 young duck ducks, you know, six months old, harvest weight, nice, meaty ducks. If I get that a year, 50, call that one a week. Well, now I have one meal a week that I just go out and get. Now, the beauty of the duck is if I get into a bad situation and I want to rely on my long-term storables and let their numbers come up even higher, I don't have to, I don't have to store the duck. I can leave the duck, waddle around and play in the pond until the day I want to eat him. Now, sure, if he gets a little bit too old, he gets a little bit tougher, but it's still edible. You look at something like aquaponics, where I'm growing fish and, and vegetation. The vegetation, as it gets to a certain point, I've got to pick it, I've got to use it. But if I don't need the protein from the fish, I do have a finite number of fish and a finite size of fish based on my system. But I can leave a lot of those fish, and I can fillet that fish 15 seconds before I cook it. I don't have to spend any energy or typical storage space for that product. A chicken is another great example. If I have a chicken that I'm relying on mostly for eggs, not for meat. Well, I only get a few eggs a day, so I really don't have to store them. I can use them as they come in. If I've got a little hen house, maybe three or four hens, right? It's, it's probably, that's probably more eggs than I need, but even I can give some away. I can barter some, but I have a steady, small supply instead of one huge yield. Now, those are all layers of redundancy. In my food system. Now I add a garden. I've got big harvest and I've got, I've got small harvests going on at the same time. I've got certain things that come in. Beans are a great example. Man, one day I go out there and it seems like yesterday there weren't any beans. And today there's like tons of beans. Especially if I have a big fence covered in them or something. So one day there's like one little bean there that I pick off and eat because I wanted one early. The next day I go out there and maybe I've got tons of them. So I'm either dehydrating, canning, eating as much fresh as I can. So now I'm adding to my storables, but I have an immediate yield as well. But I also have things out there like, let's say it's summertime with beans and, and tomatoes and all. Lettuces. So I've got lettuces that I'm succession planting. Every two weeks I'm planting a little bit of lettuce. 
and I'm doing cut and come again harvest, and I get three harvests before the plant just gives up and bolts or whatever. And that way I get just, because lettuce isn't going to store well. So now I've got, that as an input throughout the entire summer. As I go into fall, I switch to winter greens like spinach and kale and other things like that. And I keep that going on an ongoing basis. So now, in a system like that, I've got the redundancy of my stored food. I've got the redundancy of my produced food. I've got the redundancy of my surplus produced food that I put into long-term storage. I've got the redundancy of livestock, let's say ducks, chickens, and fish, that I can, I can harvest only as needed. I've got the redundancy of an ongoing yield like an egg. And I've still got the ability, because the system hasn't failed, to rely on the system for anything that I would want, not necessarily need behind, beyond that, because honestly, that I could probably live on. Now I've got redundancy in my food supply. Now, if I start learning my local, uh, my lo local uh, area and I start learning where I can go to harvest things like wild mushrooms, like wild berries, where I can go fish, where I can go hunt, wherever I can find a natural, native, wild yield, and I add that as both an ongoing harvest and as something that I put together as a long-term storable, now I have a comprehensive, redundant Food plan. And that is so much different than just filling up your closet with food. And it's much healthier to live that way as well. You're much more in touch with your food supply. Now maybe you live in suburban America with your little two-tenth acre lot and you can't do all that. But you can have a little garden. You can have maybe a fruit tree and a grapevine. Maybe you can have three or four little chickens. Maybe you have to, you know, write off the ducks and the tilapia. But you can put some, and that's the whole point of this show. And all of these different layers of redundancy. Nobody, not me, not you, not anybody, uh, other than the super wealthy can probably do it all. But how much and what is best for you? What are you going to use? If you hate fish, aquaponics is probably not a good idea. Right? Because half your yield is something you're not going to use. If you love fish and you'd like a great supply of clean fish that's not infected with crap, it would be a great, great idea for you. Right? If you hate vegetables, if you're a pure carnivore, that garden, you, you might as well just grow things that your livestock can eat and raise livestock. So that's your garden with that, you know, you, maybe you grow a little bit of veg. I mean, you should also eat some vegetables, but some people eat very little vegetables. I have to force, I love them, but I have to force myself to eat them because I focus on the meat. You know? So we all have to adapt these things to what is best for us. Let's look at a more simple version of Energy redundancy. Let's just call this blackout redundancy. Uh, I kind of talked about this earlier, I think last week on a question that came in about this, but uh, I think it was from John in West Virginia, if, if I remember right. But there's energy redundancy, which is for the entire system. But then, you know, we all have blackouts. It happens to everybody, and usually they're not that big a deal. We're talking a day, uh, you know, a lot of times it's a few hours. But you're in the middle of your home, you're watching TV, you're doing something, out it goes. Okay, no, but The zombies aren't attacking, it's not the apocalypse. Some ass clown with a backhoe dug the hole in the wrong place because some other ass clown didn't mark the spot the right way, so the line's cut. Power's going to be out for a few hours, but pff, you know what? They were working late, it was just about to get dark, and now it's dark and you can't see. So if we have emergency lighting, now we have some redundancy. Now, we can have high-end stuff like generators and backup systems and all that. But what if we can't go there yet? 
Well, we put together a blackout kit. In that blackout kit is a few flashlights with standard batteries, a few few flashlights that have you know the ability to be cranked or shaken and are rechargeable. We have some emergency power failure lights plugged in like night lights through strategic places in our home. So it's never so dark we can't find things or get to our blackout kit. We have maybe a couple wind-up lanterns if we're going to be a little bit longer. We have some candles put away. Uh, we have some tea lights put away. Candles and tea lights to me are different things. They, they burn for different durations. They give out different amounts of light. So we have that all put together in our blackout kit. So now the power goes off. It's not that big a deal. You know, if it's a couple hour outage or something, we're not worried about the refrigerator freezer. Just keep it closed. It'll be fine. Four, five, six hours even. If you leave it closed, it's fine. But we want to be able to at least see what the hell we're doing and move around. So maybe we want also to add to that a couple emergency radios, at least two. Right, Because if somebody has to leave or go somewhere else, they can take one with them. Those usually have built-in lights. So now we have another. That doesn't replace the need for additional lighting. Can't have too much of a thing. We also need a source of flame in there. Because how are we going to light our candles? Uh, you can make a flyer with a flashlight, but it's not a good idea in your home. So a few Bic lighters and maybe some Strike Anywhere matches. I've got two forms of flame now. And that's all part of my basic blackout kit. So that's a real simple, inexpensive one that most people that listen to the show and have for a while, you probably have all that stuff. Just have you put it together in a way where it'll all work together for you is what I'm asking. Let's look at another one, self-defense redundancy. So a lot of people are a big believer in concealed carry, so am I. So you carry a gun, great, happy for you, I think you should. Okay. Uh, Frank Sharp Jr. put it this way when I had him on the show to talk about self-defense. If the only thing you carry is a hammer, everything you see looks like a nail. So now you're dealing with somebody that really doesn't require lethal force but could harm you. If you were carrying pepper spray, you would have another layer of redundancy. You might be able to deal with that threat without using lethal force. If you have basic combat training, physical combat training, whether it's martial arts, boxing, whatever, if you've at least put yourself in the scenario and thought about what you would do, now you have your body you can use as a weapon as well. If you're carrying something like a kubaton on your keychain or maybe you've got a keychain with a little piece of a dog chain on it or something like that or some type of improvised weapon, now I've got another striking implement. But... What I can add to that whole arsenal of redundancy is situational awareness. Frank put it very, very elegant, eloquently. We don't go to stupid places with stupid people and do stupid things. I call that situational awareness. We have to identify the fact that that person is stupid or that thing is stupid or that place is a stupid place to be. And a lot of people don't think I'm going to a stupid place to do a stupid thing with a stupid person. But they are because that situational awareness is down. So if I ratchet up my situational awareness... That becomes another level of redundancy in my self-defense. You know, remember uh, with Mr. Miyagi with Daniel-san in uh, The Karate Kid? The best defense to a punch is to know be there when it gets there, to get out of the way, right? It was a little bit of a cheesy movie and all, but it's a very, very accurate statement. The best training in fighting is not how do I strike my opponent, how do I avoid my opponent strike and use his own strength against him. So that can be in a direct one-on-one combat situation, or that can be, that's a place I don't need to go to. And this machismo shit that some guys have where, I'll go anywhere I want, I'm a big tough guy. When some guy walks up behind you, puts a knife in your back before he even says hello to you, it doesn't matter how tough you are. It was Ron White, the comedian, that was talking about this old man that was like 70 years old, and it was like a Category 3 hurricane hitting the Keys or the Bahamas or something like that, and he lived there. 
And he had himself chained to a pole to stand in the middle of the hurricane and demonstrate that, a, that an old man that was tough and strong could stand up to a storm like that. And what Ron White said is, it's not that the wind is blowing, it's what the wind is blowing. See, when you have a yield sign in your spleen, you can do a thousand sit-ups a day and it's not going to matter. And I think that some people are not in touch with their mortality. So one level of being redundant in your self-defense is being in touch with your mortality. That doesn't mean being afraid, but being in touch with the fact that you are a mortal, living, breathing human being that can be cut, that will bleed if you're cut, and if you're cut deep enough, will die. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Driving down the road and a ten-wheeler goes off course and hits your car, you're dead. If you're not in touch with that, you have no redundancy in your self-defense. Because you're thinking one-dimensional. You're thinking about meeting the threat head-on. You're not thinking about avoidance. You're not thinking about creating opportunity for response. So if I'm going to be redundant in my self-defense, it's not just what I carry, it's how I think. It's also simple things like when I go home, in the middle of the day, I lock the door. Get in my car. If my car doesn't lock the doors for me, I lock the doors. So that when I stop at a red light, some dude can't run out and easily carjack me. Now, if he does, he might get a 45 between his eyes, but it's easier to not have the situation in the first place. It's also easier to get the 45 drawn down on the guy's head when he's struggling to get the door open because it's locked. So all of these things mesh together as redundancy. And if we think about a good modern survival plan, then we want all of these types of redundancy to interact with each other. By having a good food plan with food redundancy and a lot of long-term storage food, uh, many, much of it can be done, cooked with very little energy. So now that feeds back into my energy redundancy program. Of course, since I'm spending less money on food, that feeds back to my economic redundancy uh, pro program. Now, if I have good economic redundancy, eventually that you know results in surplus cash. And then people write Jack and go, I got all this extra money because I paid off my debt and I don't know what to do. And folks, that happens. I just read it Friday. Or it was either Friday or Monday, yesterday or Friday, that I had that basic question from somebody. I think it was yesterday by email. I don't know what to do with my money now. Right? That happens when you set up good economic redundancy. You eliminate the debt. You start thinking about what you're doing. You don't overspend. That surplus can now be used to build your other redundancy. How do I afford solar and a battery backup system? Well, I start out with economic redundancy. I create surplus cash. And then instead of trying to figure out by avoiding the pitfalls, what pitfall do I run into now? I say, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to purchase this other redundant system. Now, that redundant system further reduces what? My cost of energy. I don't care how long the ROI is, the electric bill is going down. Now I have more surplus money, I feed that back into my economic redundancy. I take that greater economic redundancy and I say, you know what? What I really need to do now is I need to brush up on that food redundancy. So now I invest that and I build that aquaponics system or I put that garden in. And the order is less important than understanding the interplay. And this is why I love permaculture. For those who have heard my shows about it, perm this is permaculture. That's how permaculture works. It's like create so many redundant interconnections in this web, this life web, which is the way nature works, that it doesn't matter what breaks because the odds that everything's going to break at the same time are so small, I can't spend the energy to worry about that. 
That's redundancy. That's resiliency. And that's building a better life. And this might be a great show for you to share with people. The people that are kind of iffy on this whole survival concept, this whole prepper concept. You tell me how anything I told you today, even if the shit never hits the fan, even individually for you, which is all but impossible. The only people who don't have the shit hit the fan for them individually die young or early. Sooner or later, you're going to lose a job or you're going to lose a loved one or something acute is going to happen to you. That's why we start by prepping and planning for the things that affect us as individuals and the order of probability. But even if that didn't happen, even if you lived the most charmed life you possibly could, you had the Midas touch everywhere you walked through life, how in the world could you make a, any kind of a, a case that building a lifestyle this way with these interplaying redundancies wouldn't improve your overall quality of life, your overall success in life. Bring that redundancy into your business if you're a businessman. Think about it. If my business couldn't open the, if I couldn't open the doors tomorrow, what would I do? Okay, well the first thing I have to say is what would prevent that? Do I have employees? Am I dependent on my employees? If my employee can't, if I have a one-man show plus one employee, how much do I rely on that one employee? What would I do if they weren't there? How long could I deal without them? How much time would I have to replace them? If the power went off in my building today, do I have to shut down operations? Do I have 15 people on payroll when that happens? Is it, is it a power backup system worth not having those 15 people draw a salary for an hour or two while I decide whether to keep them at work or send them home today? Because I'm afraid if I send them home, the power comes back on. I've lost the whole day instead of just two hours. Okay, That's redundancy in a business. If I, if I have a business with one big customer, man, I need a whole bunch of little customers to go with that one big customer. That's redundancy in a business. If I'm in a career... And I think my career has no place to go but up. I've got a great skill set. I need to, to acquire accompanying skills that have greater diversity into other fields in case my field goes away tomorrow because the way technology works, it could. If I'm in a career and I'm going to be an employee, I'm not going to own my own business, I need to network like crazy. I need to know 10 companies that would kill themselves to hide, that are begging me to jump ship now, but I don't want to go there because I actually love where I am. But if anything goes wrong, I pick where I go versus beg where I can go. If people thought like that today instead of the day after they got fired, they wouldn't even care when they got fired. And if we add in the lifestyle redundancy I talked about today, if you got fired, you'd probably call one of those people up and say, I'd like to start about 60 days. I want to take a sabbatical since this happened. That's redundancy. That's living a better life. That's what this show's all about. I think I'll wrap up there, folks. Again, I want you to understand that a lot of this seems so monumental. How do I get there? How do you eat an elephant? One bit at a time. One tiny bit at a time. The beauty of this is unlike eating the element where every time elephant, where every time I eat a bite of it, I have to completely process it and get rid of it before I have room for another bite of the elephant. In this system, every time you take a little piece, it actually feeds the system. And it's like it's like a ball rolling down a hill, like a snowball, like in the old cartoons where the guy puts a pebble, rolls it up into the snowball and hits it and it just goes down and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It gets stronger as it goes. As the redundancy increases, the surplus increases, the ability to go forward increases. So the only important thing is to start and to keep doing a little more every day and it gets easier easier as you go. It gets easier and easier to deal with the situations we hope never happen. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough 
or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.